Welcome to Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. In this podcast series, Jason and his guests share their passion for plants, gardening, and landscape design from around the world. Jason is the founder and owner of Third Spring Landscape Design, a Seattle, Washington-based landscape design company. And now your host, Jason Jorgensen. Hi, this is Jason Jorgensen with Third Spring Landscape Design, and welcome to my podcast, Always in the Garden. Today, we've got a special guest. We've got Lisa Bauer from Chartreuse Landscape Design, and we're going to have a great conversation about summer dry gardening. Thanks for coming. It's, it's really nice to be here, Jason. Thanks. <laughs> well, uh, today's uh, podcast, is it's a brand new podcast, and uh, the series, the first set that I'm releasing, are kind of focusing on summer dry gardening, and I really love this style of gardening. It's a great, uh, great technique for um, places that have good exposure and um, are, have low water uh, usage and uh, can be really beautiful. And um, so, yeah, so let's, let's, let's discuss this summer dry gardening. That sounds great. I'm so interested in this now, and I've known you for a long time. And I think it's really interesting how you sort of migrated to this subject. So what initially inspired you and how did you end up learning about this process and this Style of gardening, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, it actually started. Well, I was uh, we we of course went to school together, and we had lots of plant identification, and uh, there's always been really uh, I've always really loved kind of Mediterranean or these kind of California style uh, naturalistic landscape design spaces. Uh, although at first I was not, I really liked formal and almost very modern austere spaces, and I've gone totally different direction, but. Um, the background is, is uh, after finishing school, I um, was introduced uh, from uh, the chair of the department to uh, a woman who was looking to have a new gardener, and uh, her name's uh, Sheila Tucker, uh, who actually I will be interviewing later on in uh, one of the other episodes of, of this podcast. And uh, she um, has a very beautiful garden uh, here in Seattle. It's a southern exposure, south-southwest and she uh, had a garden, uh, it's now I think going on 16 years uh, ago, uh, and she was tired of spending all this money on watering her lawn and keeping her perennials alive and roses looking good and uh, spending hundreds of dollars in the summertime for um, keeping a garden green. Mm -hmm. And she thought that, well, there's gotta be a better way. And so she did a lot of research and uh, kind of inspired me to get into this style of gardening. And so that's where it really started. And uh, and I still am working with mm -hmm. her in her garden, and uh, it's a beautiful space. Um, I'll have some photos available online uh, for resources um, after this podcast is over. Wow. And how long had she been um, doing this technique or doing the restricted water um, uh, before you showed up and, and so started helping her. So I've been with her now going on six years. Uh, so it was a little over 12 years, so wow. maybe 11 years. I, I believe it was 11 years. Uh, um, 
And so she uh, learned uh, this technique from uh, this great resource, uh, this great woman, uh, Beth Chatto, uh, who unfortunately passed away last year. But uh, famous English gardener, um, plants woman, um, has a beautiful garden in England, which you and I have had, uh, you know, had the fortune of going to visit last year, which was yeah. pretty amazing. And so she turned a, a parking lot uh, on her property uh, into a beautiful uh, summer dry garden, which, uh, so that's kind of the background. And oh. um, I, I, I think a big part of it is, is observation and looking at plants and watching the environment. And I think that's a real mm -hmm. key to uh, making sure that these landscapes work or any type of, actually any type of landscape works uh, is that watching and I think we need to spend more time looking at our garden and our plants and seeing what they're doing. And um, I think that helps uh, inform you as a gardener or as a plant person to see what's really happening. Yeah, and when things aren't working. Exactly. You know, <laughs> when, they're, when your dry plants are going limp, right? Because there's too much too water. Or too, too much, much water. water. Too, much, well, too many nutrients. Or right? they're getting too big for mm -hmm. the space. I mean, that's always a, a problem too. Um, so, so yeah, so, so, so that garden was obviously a huge inspiration for me. And, um, and after, you know, working in that garden for f five years, well, actually four years ago, um, I decided to do the same thing to my garden. I decided to take out a lawn and, uh, I, you know, use my own property as an experiment in what you could do for this style of gardening in the summer dry. Because I was in this garden once a week and I saw how beautiful it was and um, the beautiful plant material that could survive um, the whole collection of Mediterranean and, and California style plants. And I saw the, all the amazing wildlife, insects and birds that this uh, garden attracted. And also, like uh, I, I mentioned earlier, the low water usage, which I think is key because, I mean, all of us live in, most of us live in urban environments. And so water uh, costs are going up every year. And uh, I think it could be used for, uh, for food or for medical or for drinking. And we could still have like beautiful landscapes without wasting that resource. Yes. And I remember when you took out, um, it was, it was a, it's, it was a lawn, wasn't the whole thing a lawn and yeah, you took out the turf, which was difficult in and of itself <clears throat> anyway, because it was on a slope, slope. Yeah, and then exactly. you have to mow it. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. And it, but it didn't take you all that long. Of course, I wasn't doing the work, so <laughs> it may have seemed that way. But it seems like you you really planted it fairly quickly. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I took uh, I finally just bit the bullet and rented the sod cutter and uh, went and striped the lawn and started rolling up the pieces. And luckily, I was able to save some of it. I repurposed quite a bit of that sod in um, some raised beds um, for vegetables and some. Um, some ra my raspberry beds and a few other beds that I created uh, to use that sod. So at least th that wasn't that resource wasn't wasted and kind of relined a couple areas and regraded some other spots of my garden. But I took those pieces of set cut sod, flipped them upside down and put them oh. in the lower levels of the um, the raised bed and then put the the um, the soil on top of it. So oh, it just kind of decomposed. Composted. Yeah, it was great. Oh. But so yeah, I, I took the sod cutter and um, 
striped the lawn, rolled up the pieces, and then started planting. And, um, you know, with, with um, the years of working with Sheila and uh, taking a look at what did well in her garden and also thinking about the style of garden I wanted, and I really wanted a dense kind of... Uh, my vision of what a Mediterranean garden or a Mediterranean landscape would look like. And mm-hmm. so, um, of course, I'm uh, planting quite densely, and I um, really think about um, what uh, kind of what I, what I think an, an ideal Mediterranean landscape would look like. So that's, you know, plants are touching and intermingling and very dense, um, as a friend of mine said, cramscaping. <laughs> 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 well, that's really good for weeds. So <laughs> yes, it's a really good strategy yeah, for most exactly. of us. And I, I also think that um, I mean, this may be anecdotally, but I, I feel like having those plants uh, closer together also conserves moisture. Mm-hmm. You don't have these big kind of pockets around each plant, and um, that combined with the gravel mulch, you know, helping retain water uh, is like a great combination. It's a win-win, and then. When it does rain, that gravel mulch kind of breaks the water tension mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, slows the water down and, and, and gets those roots uh, deeply watered. So, but okay. Oh, well, you, okay, so you brought up the gravel mulch. Yes. So can you tell us just a little bit about what are the basic things that you need to think about when you're doing this for yourself? And if a, if a homeowner wanted to do this, can they do it? And what are the, the basic sort of requirements that you think are really important to, to creating a good base or a good... Um, the the right soil, the right conditions for these plants to to survive in. Yeah, well, I think a big part of it is the um, the soil prep, uh, which is even though I, I say soil prep, we're not doing a lot of prep work. We're doing a lot of um, kind of taking out the the sod, t- taking out the grass, taking out any uh, kind of uh, high water use uh, plants, and from there. We're using the native soil, which is on site, so we're mm-hmm. not really amending anything because we're trying to really force the plants to grow in the conditions that they're going to be in. So we're not creating like a fake, um, overly soil rich mix. soil mix. Um, and a lot of the soil is, at least here in the Seattle area, we're lucky. We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of sandy loam areas. Mm-hmm. We also do have some uh, glacial till with a lot of rocks. Um, so on any particular property, you may run into multiple soil types, uh-huh. but, uh, that being said, the, what I typically am doing, uh, as far as planting is taking those plants and I like to start with small ones, uh, two inch plugs, uh, four inch, uh, four inch plants from the nursery up to one gallons. I did put in a couple three gallon plants, mm-hmm. uh, but I like to start small and I like to start uh, very dense. And so a lot of these plants are planted uh, maybe uh, 12 to 18 inches on center. Um, and then um, as they get planted, um, I like to remove a majority of the um, potting soil. And I use um I do like a brand of uh, potting, um, excuse me, a, a pot of soil. It's a soil building conditioner um, that has mycorrhiza and it's a little bit of nutrients. I don't want to be totally mean to the plants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, give, give, tough love. But I do give them, you know, like say for a four inch 
plants i'm giving like a generous handful in each of the planting uh-huh. holes and so mixing that in uh planting those plants i'm not doing a root washing but i am uh-huh. doing a shake off so get it yeah. you know good to half to two-thirds of that potting mix off <coughs> and to why are you doing that because <coughs> i think a lot of people would think that would be really frightening to yeah <laughs> expose the roots like that well part of it is is like i had mentioned before is that you really are forcing those plants to grow in the native soil mm-hmm. that what you have on site because you can't change your soil right um on any particular uh property and uh, so there's that part and the other part is uh, a lot of these plants do really well um and can handle our winter rain but uh but if the really rich moist kind of hummusy water retentive potting soil is around those roots um in the winter time the water runs in and then will oh. super saturate those those roots and then they can actually rot and or freeze and so that's where you lose a lot of plants and so what i found on my garden and and other gardens that i've done in this style is that by removing that potting soil you lessen the the kind of water retentiveness of the root zone and let that water kind of flow in and flow out and those roots Uh will then grow out of that um, planting hole into the native soil Wow, that makes a lot of sense, and it sounds like it doesn't cost a lot of money to. You don't have to bring in a bunch of soil, and that's um, correct. You just use what's there, and yeah, I mean there is um, additional cost for planting, so you're taking the time to mm-hmm. remove the the potting soil around those plants. Um, so, so it's kind of a trade off. So you, I mean, it's not, it's it's going to cost money or uh, resources. Um, either way, but I feel like yeah. this is a l- more sustainable way to, to get those plants in and then get them established. And then once again, once they're in, um, they are watered that first year. So it's not like you just plant them and then bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Young plants for sure. Yeah. And so at least for the first year, you're going to water it during the summer, the really hot Yes, I'm, I, you're, I'm treating it like a regular garden. You really want uh-huh. to get those roots established. Um, maybe like on every third day cycle or maybe in the heat of summer, you know, July, August here in Seattle where we're super, super hot and dry and maybe even more so uh, in recent years, um, uh, watering maybe every other day. Just to, You really want to get those plants well bedded in. You want to get them watered. You want to get them established and uh, um, set them off uh, in the right direction before the know, the fall rains start to happen. So like around October. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so would you say for, it's sort of similar to a lot of other garden plants that you would for two to three years, probably just give supplemental water. And then after that, at that point you can dial it back. Dial it to back. Well, actually, none. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually what, what I'm doing is I'm doing a little more tough love than that. So oh. usually it's that first year they get watered uh-huh. and then, then oh, they're on their own. Wow. So it is kind of a leap of faith. Um, uh-huh. And there are uh, some summers, uh, like last year, I was having a garden tour and I was really worried. And so I did kind of break my own rule. Uh-huh. And I did spot water a few things that I thought, well, they don't look so good right now. And I have people coming. <laughs> and so, you know, then there's the designer side of me saying, well, I've got to have this garden looking really good because of course. <laughs> people are touring. Yeah. Um, so, but for most of that front garden um, now is unwatered. And so what I, what I'm doing now is 
when I do install new plants, because I'm a plant collector and I like experimenting, um, I've, I've actually painted these bamboo sticks with these little uh, yellow markers on the tips. And so I oh. put the, I kind of embed those in the in the in an area that I plant in. So I know those are the places to spot water. And I usually try to put more than just one plant in. I try to do a grouping. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I am watering a new section, at least I'm not watering just a single plant, but like so, trying some new plants. So I yarded out a few carexes that were looking kind of bad and trying some other new plants. Okay. Well, in those I've seen your bamboo sticks and they don't look obtrusive at all. They actually sort of go with the color scheme and they just sort of fade into the plants. So yeah. it's, it's a really good, that's a good trick. Yeah. And, uh, and people ask me, what are they for? And I always tell them, um, I originally had bought some, um, like landscape irrigation flags, but then <laughs> I thought, uh, it looked a little a li- industrial. Li- yeah. <laughs> it looked like, well, what's he doing? Is he going to put in some irrigation or what's going on? And so I thought, um, and actually, uh, a friend and colleague of mine uh, recommended doing that, and I thought it was oh. such a great idea. Actually, George, George Lash, yeah. um, George. who we know, yep. yes, <laughs> and he recommended. He's like, "We'll do something that's a little <clears throat> more artistic, and uh, you know, some something that looks good, but but uh, you know, serves a purpose, but also has um, kind of aesthetically uh, yes. looks good." So, yeah, I mean, that's all to kudos to George. Absolutely. George really cares what things look like. And that's also really important, I think. Um, And so when you're doing your planting plans, um, do you, you, I'm sure that you probably have some plants in mind that you're strategically placing in, but it sounds like too, you're really still experimenting quite a bit, at least in your own garden. Um, So when people do this for themselves or if they hire you to come out and and do this for them. Do you have a like a bag of, of of plants that you always want to use? I mean, I'm yeah. You, I mean, there yeah. are quite a few plants I do really enjoy using. Um, uh-huh. a lo- there are quite a few um, kind of ornamental grasses, uh, depending on the size and scale of the of the site. Um, of course, I love all the stipas, uh, stipa barbata, which is my new favorite plant, uh, yeah. which is beautiful. And then of course there's stipa gigantea. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also um, there's a Nacella tenuissima, which is a beautiful Mexican feather grass. That's a great one. It does mm-hmm. uh, self seed, um, so you can strategically pull out. Um, actually, for maintenance, what I do is I have a um, I have a comb, oh. <laughs> and I actually comb out <laughs> the the, the pan- seeds, the seeds mm-hmm. and toss them into the compost. So then maybe only get about a quarter of what you would think uh, will self-seed through a garden, which is kind of nice. They're easy to remove once they're in. But if you just let the seeds drop, then you get these big kind of untidy clumps growing in gardens. Exactly. I mean, I love, I love steep attenuasima, but I do, it is, it is, can be a frightening proposition if it, if it seeds all over everything, but that's a, that's a really interesting way to, to, um, control it. And I've done that just actually picking the seeds out just with my hands and it does, it forms this, the seeds will sort of knit together and you can make like almost a felt. Yeah, exactly. It is (laughs) kind of of fun. It's fun for kids. (laughs) So Um, yeah, I like that one. And another one is the, um, uh, pheasant tail grass, the, uh, Anamantali Lissoniana, which is from, I believe, Australia. And it's a beautiful kind of a reddy orange, uh, burgundy sometimes. And yeah. as right now in, uh, well, we're in the middle of June 
um, or almost the end of June, and uh, the panicles are just starting to open up, and they have a really kind of graceful, kind of golden panicle that hangs down and kind of blows in the wind. That's really lovely, and that one too yeah. can self seed, so you got to oh, okay. be a little careful. Yep. A lot of the dry grasses, steepa gigantea also <laughs> can be quite seedy. Yeah. But um, like you said, just plant really close together, yeah. right? So hopefully you're choking out yeah, anything exactly. that tries to to to, to grow. So um, yeah, so the the, the gr- those are a few of the grasses I really like, uh-huh. and then um, I really like a lot of the penstemon. There's um, uh, pin- uh, penstemon pinifolia, pinifolius, I believe. Uh, it's a very like needle-like um, leaf, kind of like a pine needle, um, beautiful uh, little cup flowers that look uh-huh. that are quite lovely. And um, and then there are some blue varieties, like um, I believe it's uh, Penstemon Mexicana, Neo Mexicana. Oh, oh I, I'll, I'll, I'll uh-huh. double check the name. I'll have that available online. Really beautiful kind of electric blue, which wow, would look really nice. that sounds gorgeous. So penstemon, <coughs> and, um, and I also like a lot of the um, plants from the southern hemisphere. So a lot of the uh, grevilleas do really mm-hmm. well, and they don't like any fertilizer, really, once they're planted and in. And I do uh-huh. give them a little bit of the um, uh, uh, compost for w- while I'm planting, maybe a handful or two. Um, but th- after that, then they're kind of left on their own, and they really resent um, any type of additional fertilization once they're in. And they those bloom, some bloom year round, some bloom uh, mostly in the winter time, uh-huh. which is lovely and attract hummingbirds. Right, really beautiful. There's a um, kind of an orange, orange red one that has uh, round paddle shaped leaves, and it's uh, uh-huh. Grevillea. Murray Valley. Uh, no, that that th- 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 this one is. Um, um, uh, Grevillea Machiliana, which is a oh. really beautiful plant. Wow. And is that evergreen as well? Yes, that's okay. an evergreen. And, uh, and then some conifers as well that I really enjoy using. I mean, there's Italian cypress, mm-hmm. um, uh, and there's, uh, there's some small ones. I know you've used the, the uh, tiny towers. Oh yes, definitely. It's a, it's which a is nice a small one. one format if say you're in a really small urban garden. Or you can use the straight ones that get, you know, 25, 30 feet tall that look quite lovely. Um, there's also a lot of the, um, like, uh, junipers from from oh, from yeah. uh, um, Arizona, the ju- uh, juniperus uh, arizonica. Spumatas, yep. Yep, and those are also quite lovely and come in some really beautiful colors. There's some blue ice mm-hmm. if you're going to go in kind of a blue-gray tone. And there's some, uh, the one I have in my own garden is... Uh, um, sulfuria, which is kind of a limey green, which is really kind oh, of that lovely. That sounds gorgeous. You have um, a definite yellow scheme going in your yard, yellow and orange and blue, right? Yes, and yeah. And you have purples. You have a lot have of purples. purples which yes, are lavenders are starting compliment. to come on right now, mm-hmm. which is really nice. I mean, there is that time of year, like uh, the end of May or beginning of June, where everything is very yellow uh, uh-huh. in my garden. And then the blues and purples start to kick in, which then softens it up. But I think it's just that that time of year when those plants are blooming. And so, um, yeah, it can be a little shocking. And some years I, I get I'm like overwhelmed with the amount of yellow. But uh, for the most part, it's it's just like a two-week period. And then everything just starts to mellow out. Right. <laughs> so ever-changing, right? Yeah, exactly. And ever-changing. <laughs> um, so um, 
Have you ever seen, and this is really interesting because I always think of the Pete Rudolph movement and the sort of meadow look and it's all, you know, very loose and flowing and, and I love that look, but in a, in a small urban garden, sometimes it's hard to get that kind of a, well, to have that kind of space to make an impact. And so have you ever seen this technique done in a sort of linear way or in a very architectural manner where you have some straight lines and some like rectangles of not necessarily mass plantings, but I'm just thinking kind of more of a structured planting scheme because it sort of like goes against the idea of a structured planting scheme. So that might be an interesting thing to to think contemplate. about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it would be quite lovely. Um, just because I, I, I think um, the gardens that I work in and my own personal uh, space uh, that I did this in was very small and wasn't very, had, it was a slope and it wasn't a very usable space. Um, but I think it would look quite lovely. I would love to work on a project that um, did this, use this uh, plant palette uh-huh. um, in a very modern um, layout group, even like a block planting or um, some, you know, lots of groupings of those plants together versus kind of a, a naturalistic uh, look. I think it would look quite interesting yeah. and the only thing i can really think of is um and of course this is not the same um um climatic zone as as in the seattle and the northwest but uh in palm springs there's the sunny lands um oh yeah uh, sunny That's lands uh which is the annenberg uh, uh family estate uh in palm springs and they did um some really beautiful um group block planting very modern uh, style uh, with uh, with large masses of uh, repetition and look quite lovely. Although that's a desert environment, and mm-hmm. so th- those desert plants are actually getting watered, so that's a little bit different. But uh, as far as the yeah. look and feel, I think that uh, is something that could be recreated in in the Northwest that I think would look quite lovely. Well, that'd be really interesting to see that done. That would be be um, fantastic just for some of the smaller or even like the very modern homes would probably yeah. be a really neat look. Um, so uh, as far as um, dry gardening, we have a lot of conifers in the Seattle area and I, I get a lot of people who have giant cedars and dug firs in their yards. And do you think this is um, an idea that can be applied to sort of more sh- dry shade. Um, I know that would be a totally different plant mix, but. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, I think of, um, just off the top of my head, I'm just thinking of a few plants. I mean, there's all these uh, beautiful epimediums that you can grow, both ones that are kind of of Asian origin, and then there's European origin epimediums that do really well in dry shade. Um, there are some ferns. There are some dry ferns that can be used in those situations. Uh, some of the ornamental grasses could also be used. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think um, you will probably always be fighting the um, water usage, and the, the, those mm-hmm. big trees really suck up all the moisture in the in the soil. So you may have to do some supplemental watering um, on occasion, more so than just kind of after that first year. Although I have seen some really beautiful plant mixes of like bulbs and uh-huh. uh, ornamental grasses and some beautiful cyclamen, um, mm-hmm. both heterofolium and cyclamen cuum, 
and uh, lots of sedums that kind of a bright shade uh, uh-huh. area that would look uh, that can look quite lovely although that impact is mainly in the spring uh-huh. um and then also some of the uh, pacific coast hybrid irises i think oh, those would those also do great. quite Yes. well in a dry shade area mm. and there's amazing colors i mean there you can go from yeah. white to purple to yellow gold uh, white i do have snow canyon Pacific coast iris <laughs> yeah. like right under my arbutus and it's just amazing it just they you know all the leaves fall in them and they just can take it and yeah. <laughs> they get buried but they don't seem to mind and their evergreen foliage is fantastic yeah. yeah, that's a really great plant. That's a really beautiful one. Hard to get sometimes, but yeah, there are um, there are some specialty growers here, um, yes. here in the Seattle area, and of course, of course, down in Portland, there are a couple great growers. You know, we've got Zero Plants and we've got Cistus Nursery, and they always have some really fun. Uh, you know, they hybridize all these plants, and so they have some beautiful color combinations. I've got one that's called Idlewild. You know, oh. from the from Obviously, from the California region, uh, there's a town um, up in the high mountains called Idlewild, and it's this roughly purple, uh, kind of crazy, um, with with purple falls and um, just beautiful, oh, roughly incredible. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. There are hundreds of varieties of those, aren't there? I mean, yeah, that's uh, that, that's uh, you could have a whole uh, show just on Pacific <laughs> Coast hybrid iris. Definitely. <laughs> oh God, they're amazing. Um, so. And what about the maintenance? Because I, you know, I get that question a lot, you know, when I plant a new garden with a client and they always say, when should I cut things down? And so as far as the summer dry garden plants um, as a whole, is there any like really simple rules people can um, remember when they're thinking about if they want to, you know, try this and then what time of year will they? One thing I can just uh, maybe caution people on is that uh, a lot of these plants don't really want to get cut down and do like a heavy cleanup in the fall, Mm -hmm. especially think about like anything in the, in the uh, mint family, in the, um, any of the salvias or the lavenders or agastache or flomus, all of those Uh plants in in the Lamiaceae family, um, it's best to leave those stems on in the wintertime because they protect the crown uh, from freezing and, and rain. And, rain. and actually those hollow tubed, because a lot of those plants have the square stems, uh-huh. a lot of those actually collect water like a straw and percolate it down to the crown. And so really... Um, you know, you could do a slight tidying up. I wouldn't cut everything down uh, because that's where a lot of people say, well, I grew uh-huh. um, plant salvia X, whatever, and it, th- it didn't survive the winter. Well, I think uh, a, po- a big portion of that is people um, over fertilizing them. And then the other thing is the uh, cleaning them up in the fall. And so I think oh. the one way I think about um kind of like a summer dry garden or a garden year round is that you're kind of editing out things that don't look good. And so um, as the plant starts to kind of fall apart or um, as the season changes, you could go through and tidy up one plant and remove some of the stems. But but it, once again, you don't want to cut everything completely down to the ground. Or you're going through and like kind of raking up leaves that have fallen to keep... Um, 
debris from building up and kind of soil built creating soil from that leaf litter or plant material that is dropped um so maybe just think about like a year-round maintenance program versus uh-huh. like okay strategic you know fall cleanup cut everything down um do one one pass uh, more of like a um and editing, like in the spring, like after the tulips have died and uh, kind of shriveled up, then you pull all the tulip uh, stems and leaves out or the daffodil leaves and stems out. And then the next thing is after, um, uh, you know, after the first flush of the um, cystus, uh-huh. you go through and kind of you rake up a little bit of those leaves or you cut back, you know, do the little tip cutting of of anything in the cystus family so that you can get a second flush of flowers coming through. So it's kind of a ongoing, ongoing yeah. yeah I mean, it, it is not a no maintenance garden by no right. means. I mean, I think any garden or any kind of um, sustained uh, garden in any urban area is going to require maintenance year round. Absolutely. And then you get to know your plants and it actually kind of forces you into the garden is that right exactly <laughs> so you can you can enjoy your plants too because i know that once we all get out there then we that's that's the fun part really yeah so well that sounds great is there are there you know anything else that you want people to know about um summer dry gardening that you feel like is um not known or maybe a misconception as far as maintenance or no i i actually think we touched on a lot of the subject uh-huh. uh I mean, one thing just to remember is that there's always um, maintenance to be done in any type of garden. Uh, you do want to water that first year. Uh, and I think that um, that uh, tight planting pattern or planting uh, matrix uh, is really best for um, for creating that look, especially if you're going for uh, kind of a stylized, naturalistic landscape. Um, although I'm really excited now to think about using that in in, in a modern uh, application, uh-huh. I can think I'm already having ideas of what <laughs> would look really cool, like a like a a, a bed of of ornamental grass with like a, a very architectural arctostaphylos coming up in the middle uh-huh. and like a big block planting. Which Man, sounds, oh, that, that sounds, sounds lovely. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Now, maybe, maybe I'll have to get rid of some of my other parts of my garden and, and do some like stylized, very modern. Re- redo yeah, something. Exactly. Or, or you could just put a perimeter of, you know, like just like a border around something. Maybe. Exactly. And you've actually done that sort of in the front on the south side. You had a whole line of carrots that was sort of holding. I think it was sort of, I don't know if you did it to hold up the soil or just as a design line. I think it was a it design was line nice. at first. Yeah. Yes. And those plants didn't survive. And so now I'm mm-hmm. on to, or, uh, some have, some haven't. Yeah. The really hot summer ones on that southwest corner of the property did not survive. I mean, they need yeah. more water. They can't be without water. So... Now I'm on to some other new grasses. I'm trying yeah. some carrot, or not carrot, excuse me, some uh, festuca rubra, which is actually doing pretty good. So yeah. we'll see how, how they fare. This will be the second summer that they're in. So uh, this will be the year of not getting water. So we'll see uh-huh. how well they do. But um, One yeah. last thing is that we haven't talked much about the gravel mulch because that's a really important facet of this, isn't it? And it... Yeah. Um, and it, it looks really nice, I think. And you've used, is it just a, a basalt, crushed basalt? or it, Yeah, just a local, uh, from a local stone yard. Uh, and I'm using a 5 eighths to 3 eighths minus uh-huh. 
or five eighths to three eighths clean actually. Okay. So it's a washed gravel, so you don't get the fines, and you don't. It doesn't get built up like a kind of a chalky clay layer mm-hmm. with the really fines, and it lets. Right. So, um, I really like that. But you could use. There's tons of things you could use for mulch. Um, I like the fact that there's some weight to the gravel, mm-hmm. and so it'll stay in place. Um, you could also use, um, you could use bark, you could use, um, you could oh. use arborist chips. If, if you want, uh-huh. didn't want to do gravel, um, you could use, if you wanted to go really fancy or kind of modern, you could use, uh, like tumbled glass as a mulch, uh-huh. which could, could actually be really cool. You get some yeah. like blue tumbled oh, gra- glass gorgeous. or some, something like that. Yeah. Um, you could use, um, um, seashells, you know, like oyster shells. I mean, they're available here as well. That could be another cool look. And that keeps, well, it, it helps with erosion. It also, does it sort of moderate the temperature of the soil as well? It does, yeah. And then it keeps the leaves dry too, right? Exactly. Because that's a really important Yeah. I mean, it does every, part. it's a really yeah. uh, integral part to keeping a garden. You're keeping, you know, weed suppression. Uh, you're helping with uh, soil temperature and moisture and, um, and also kind of uh, keeping the, like splash up from, so you don't get uh, soil splashed up onto your plants and soil erosion. Okay. So I think, uh, I mean, no matter where you, no matter what type of garden you're doing, I think it's key to have that, that, um, the mulch, that mulch yes. layer on top of everything. Yep. And mulch can be a, a real um, decorative item too, like you said, and there's all of the granites and the marbles, crushed marbles too. Yeah. I, I know the marbles have some dust in them, but um you know, if you had, <laughs> if you had the wherewithal, you could rinse them, right? And yeah. then spread them out. But yeah, you could well, add You have some beautiful uh, granite, is it? B- yeah, black it's and the salt, yep, the salt and pepper granite. That's readily available in the Seattle area. Yeah. And you can get it in all different sizes. It's and beautiful. It makes a beautiful pathway or mulch as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a really so. nice one. Great. Well, I learned a lot today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for I, coming. I, I really appreciate your time here today and... Um, Looking forward to um, having you on again. If if you'll if you'll come and join me on my podcast. Oh, this is this is a wonderful, fun thing to do for me. So, <laughs> I appreciate you asking me. Great. Well, <laughs> uh, once again, thank you for uh, joining me. Uh, this is Jason Jorgensen with Always in the Garden. We reached the end of another episode of Always in the Garden with Jason Jorgensen. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us online or find resources, materials, and behind-the-scenes photos at alwaysinthegarden.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to listen to our other episodes. Remember, you can find us always in the garden. Host, Jason Jorgensen. Executive producer, Johan Leisha. Music by Pierre Dubouton. Introduction, Diana Rodriguez. <laughs>